Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Allworth with the Birvana Show Podcast Extra. This week, I spoke with the directors of a number of brewers' guilds across the country to discuss what was happening to breweries in their areas as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. We discussed effects on breweries as well as the guilds themselves. Joining me in the conversation were from Arizona, Rob Fulmer, from Kansas, Phil Bradley, from Ohio, Justin Hemminger, from Oklahoma, Tabby Burwell, from New York City, Ann Riley, from Nebraska, Brianne Schuler, from Maryland, Jim Bachman, from Colorado, Shawnee Adelson, from Georgia, Joseph Cortez, and from New Hampshire, C.J. White. I hope you enjoy the show. So, but, oh, yeah, you're going to have to record it apparently because I need your permission. So if you do that and then send it to me, that would be great. For sure. All right. So we're recording. It should show that in the corner. And as people come in, I'll remind them. Okay. So, Jeff. So I am Jeff Allworth. I'm a beer writer. I live in Portland, Oregon, uh, and uh, have known Rob for quite a while. And he offered to let me talk to you guys and find out what's going on. So I'm pretty excited about that. And I really appreciate you taking the time and letting me and, and everyone know how things are going in your states. Right on. Uh, Phil? Hi, I'm Phil Bradley. I run the Guild in Kansas. I also do a lot of other hospitality associations. Uh, CJ is missing. So, uh, Justin? I'm Justin Heminger, the Deputy Director of the Ohio Craft Brewers Association. And uh, I apologize if I'm a little spaced out right now. Our governor does a uh, two o'clock COVID-19 press conference two days a week, and it's happening right now. So I'm trying to follow along with that as they do the uh, auto captions. So if you if you ask me a question, and I don't respond right away. Just yell my name and I'll snap to you. For sure. Or we'll, we'll, we'll add you to the back end or something. Um, that is a common occurrence, Jeff. Uh, all of our calls, sometimes we're on headphones um, or we're looking at our phones because uh, our governors like to do what they like to do and then they then we have to pick up the pieces and I think you'll hear some of that. Uh, yeah. Tabby, Tabby's new. Hi, I'm Tabby Burwell. I am the executive director for the Oklahoma Craft Brewers Association. And this is my third week on the job. Uh, my background is in tourism and media relations. So I was ex especially interested in meeting you and uh, seeing what you have to say. And Let me unmute myself, yeah. <laughs> Hi, sorry, this is Anne from New York City Brewers Guild. I work directly with Paul Leon and his team at the state pretty regularly. Uh, Brianne? Hi, I'm Bree Schuler. I'm the executive director of the Craft Brewers Guild in Nebraska, and I think Tabby is the only person newer than I am now. I am in week six uh, with Nebraska, so I'm mostly here to learn. Yeah, we had we had Joseph from Georgia, but he had to cancel out. He was he was like he just started when COVID hit, so um, you're definitely seeing some new folks. Uh, let's go with Jim. Hey there, I'm Jim Bachman. I'm the Communications Director for the Brewers Association of Maryland. Uh, we've got a lot of fun stuff going on here with this uh, response, so looking forward to talk about it. Awesome. Uh, and then uh, Shawnee? Hey, I'm Shawnee, um, Executive Director of the Colorado Brewers Guild. Sorry, I jumped on a few minutes late. 
No worries. Uh, just so everybody knows, he's recording or we're recording this, and he may use audio clips for his podcast and to support his writing. Um, but I told him everyone here is used to talking to the media, and that's what we're here for. CJ uh, is uh, New Hampshire, um, but she may be on one of those important governor calls. And obviously, I'm, I'm with Arizona. And uh, the, the one thing I would tell you about Arizona is I think, I think we might have had the most luck staying open and, and sort of weed-threading the needle. We haven't had, except for the initial shutdown, we have been able to remain open. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure if we're just lucky or if our arguments were worthwhile or, or what. We do have somewhat of a relationship with our governor. Uh, he helped us push, push a bill some time ago. So uh, CJ, we, we just need you to introduce yourself. You just muted yourself again. Hi. <laughs> Hi, I'm CJ. I'm with New Hampshire. I am the executive director there, and I was just on the phone dealing with chaos. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. So uh, I, I don't know if you want to just start asking questions, Jeff, or you need anything else? Yeah, I mean, we have kind of a big group here, and I don't know that uh, we need to maybe to, if we have everybody respond to everything, it might be a little slow. But I am curious, since we've got some Midwest folks and some Northeast folks here, uh, particularly in New York City, like, you know, just give me a, a sense of what's going on. I can tell you in Oregon, uh, we're mostly open, um, but most of the breweries and pubs are not serving indoors. Um, I think there are some, uh, to, to uh, be allowed to serve indoors, you have to have 50% occupancy or something. There's a number of rules, but it seems like mainly right now, Oregon is rolling uh, while it's sunny on outdoor stuff. So I'm curious how, you know, how, how the rest of you are doing and uh, how the breweries are responding, how, how it, you know, how it feels to them now that uh, we're in the summer. Um, I can go ahead and answer for New York City. Um, yeah, New, York New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, New York and New York City are operating on two different levels. Um, New York City, still no one is allowed indoors. Um, and I am asked at least once a week when indoor dining is going to happen, especially considering yesterday uh, they allowed bowling. And next week they're going to allow gym. So people are like, well, if they can do all that and they're talking about bringing kids back to school, why can't we have people dining inside? Um, basically here in New York City, the Department of Transportation set up something they're calling self-certified sidewalk cafes, where all you had to do was fill out your paperwork um, and you could set up a sidewalk cafe. The issue is our breweries fall under three different kind of purviews, permits. Um, most of them have a Department of Agriculture, most of them don't have a Department of Health. So they're not restaurants. Um, and one thing that's been happening is depending who comes to do an inspection, be it casually or otherwise, they all have different information. Like for instance, um, Grimm, they set up um, where they have uh, a bunch of picnic tables out in the street. It's, you know, it's, um, that was the thing too, was early on they um, indicated that your barriers had to meet different requirements and those kept changing, which made everybody a little crazy trying to keep up. Um, 
but they have, you can go to the brewery, but you can't go in and order your own beer to stay, um, you know, seating outside, it's table service only, where other breweries, um, most of them are operating where they have, you know, either barrels and stools or some kind of seating outside underneath, it, um, you know, a little um, event tent. Um, and people will go and, you know, either, you know, get a can or uh, from a draft or a jockey box, everybody's doing something different. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm regularly asked, when are we going to let people indoors? <laughs> and if I had to guess based on what the governor and our mayor keep saying, um, I don't see it happening anytime before Labor Day for sure. And you know, they're, they're extending the uh, sidewalk seating through Halloween. So if that's an indicator, we're in this for a while. Is that similar to what others of you are seeing? Do you, is that, does anybody have uh, situations that are more open or uh, substantially different than that? I can speak in New Hampshire, we have indoor seating. Um, there's limited capacity. So half the state operates at 50% capacity, uh, which is interesting because I don't know what restaurant would have ever been set up with six feet spacing to initially start. So I'm not sure why they're also saying, in six of our counties, you can be at 100% capacity, but that means nothing if you set up your restaurant as a socially distanced restaurant to begin with, maybe, but I don't think anyone did. Um, so we've been encountering some issues with small, like more of our metropolitan areas, for example, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, we have a small pocket of breweries there. There's like 10, almost 10 there and they're having difficulty and they're seeing a downturn just because they don't have the access to outdoor seating. So a majority of people are still uncomfortable going inside. So the lack of outdoor seating is definitely hindering their sales um, and they just don't have the ability to put any seating outdoors. Um, and those are fairly popular breweries, but when you get to the more rural breweries in New Hampshire, they have massive fields that they've set up um, on their farms for, for outdoor seating and they've actually increased capacity. So it's kind of all over the board for us. Not so much different. I'm just going to uh, talk about a couple of points here. The difference in information out there is one of the largest problems that we've experienced and I see experienced nationwide that there's, what the law is, then there are the rulings and the executive orders and the health department orders, and then there's the public opinion, and then there's some individual businesses making policy and then saying, well, it's the law so that they don't have people arguing with them. So it's the misinformation as much as anything else. All right, I, I think there's a beer delivery there, which is kind of funny. <laughs> uh, can you hold on one sec? Oh, he's leaving, okay, he figured it out. <laughs> I'm probably in one of the most lax states in terms of guidelines and regulations right now in Nebraska. We're back to 100%, uh, though um, most places are, are still doing, you know, it, if you're sitting at the bar, there has to be two bar stools in between groups that aren't together. Um, they're still trying to keep spacing in dining rooms, but it is certainly looking um, closer to normal here. I went out Saturday night. Um, to a, a bar in Omaha that would not be my normal stomping ground for a friend's birthday party. And we now have a mask mandate in Omaha and Lincoln. Um, and I'm in Omaha. Dance floor was packed. No one was wearing masks. No one was enforcing masks. 
um, it was a little bit scary. So, um, and I, I would say all of our breweries across the state have done a, a very excellent job of imposing their own uh, standards, which exceed those that have been set out by our governor. But generally speaking here, um, it looks like business as usual in most places. I, th I think that was one of our arguments is that, that um, we're, um, you know, on the production side, there is a lot of uh, procedural and um, SOP focused. Um, and so that's really easy to translate to the front of the house. We're small enough that we can sort of connect with everybody and speak on everyone's behalf as opposed to uh, taverns and bars and nightclubs. There's really no organization to really rein people in. Um, I mean, uh, um, if you think about it, there's a lot of confusion in our state about what's a bar and what's a restaurant because the licensing is different. Um, and but you know, to the consumer, they can all look the same. And, and so, uh, we are getting some heat for looking like a bar, and we're telling our members to make it look like a restaurant. Get rid of those high top tables, believe it or not. Um, um, try to assign seating. Um, uh, you know, uh, make it more behavior based. So, like you know, a lot of breweries will have, you know, live music and karaoke and, and, and trivia nights. And we're trying to encourage people not to do as many of those uh, or not do them at all. And I said, the more you look like a restaurant, the, the less hassle you're going to have. Because uh, in addition to, the, as we spoke, the various levels of you've got executive uh, branch orders, you've got uh, um, Departments of Health, um, you have local PD, uh, you have the liquor department, and um, there's, but really the, the real police are Facebook. <laughs> if you've got terrible optics, uh, they're gonna get, they're gonna rise to the level of, of, of all that stuff. So um, uh, when we talk about it, you know, our, our license is tied to the production of beer and we subsequently sell beer. Uh, a restaurant primary focus is selling food and they subsequently sell liquor, but a bar um, primarily sells liquor. And, and we are fighting on their behalf because we think it should be behavior based. If you have a nightclub, but you can get everyone to sit down and, um, and you can um, um, eliminate um, standing and, and I mean, you're doing the things that are contrary to why people go to nightclubs, right? They want to come together. But if you can do that, then the license shouldn't matter. Um, so if you can if you can keep separation, keep people seated, and and they can mask when they're moving in and out, then there's no reason to, to shut them down. Um, Rob, I'm interested. Uh, you, you represent the forward state. Everyone else is going to be in in a few months when you're going to be able to go to outdoor seating, and now you can only do indoor seating because it's so hot there. Uh, do you have any sense of whether uh, pubs, restaurants, breweries are uh, have been spreading things? Like if if the if the northern part of the United States in October, November shifts to closed restaurants, is that going to be a problem? Like it, there's a few states that are are experimenting in that now. Um, well, we haven't really distinguished between indoor and outdoor seating and rules, and that's something what we need to do. Um, Northern Arizona, by the way, uh, Flagstaff, certain parts of Prescott, um, they have opened up streets and um, um, I think 
I think Flagstaff across our state is doing the best. They're taking it the most seriously. They're reducing their capacity on their own. I mean, there's a few outliers, obviously. Uh, contrast that to Prescott, which is a little bit more uh, my way of the highway and, and was last to really uh, implement a lot of these things. Um, so the breweries were actually the bad guys because like people would literally go in there and say, I don't need to wear a damn mask, so I'm not coming in your place kind of thing, you know. Um, that's that's just the nature of our state. It's the, the metro areas are, are, are seem seem to understand um, the importance of it. And, and to be fair, the, the rural areas, uh, the only time that we understand that they're getting having problems with COVID is because people want to go there from out of state, from California, from from Metro Phoenix. It's, it's so it's 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 tough that way. But I don't know that we can, as a state, say that uh, there are uh, hot spots based on our industry. And I'm really fearful that alcohol consumption is now being tied uh, to COVID transmission. I just don't know that that's true. Um, I think going to certain clubs where there is no masks and, and, and high concentrations of people and, and poor ventilation, yeah, absolutely. But that's a lot of different businesses too. It's not just alcohol. Yeah, I would echo what Rob said is that in Colorado, we were able to get breweries to be able to reopen with restaurants because we used um, the behavior argument in the sense of it should be up to how your business is run, not based off of your license type. And if you can prevent people from being in this situation that um, Brianne explained with the dance floors and everything, then you should be able to be open. What's the difference between sitting at a picnic table and having a beer versus sitting at a picnic table and eating a taco. Um, there isn't any difference there. And so we have pretty strict rules around the socializing and no table hopping and all of that kind of thing. But um, I would say that we haven't seen any specific cases that I know of in Colorado that have been linked to the uh, on-site consumption. However, we have had some businesses that have out of precaution have closed due to either staff being exposed to somebody that tested positive or a customer, a regular customer that came in that tested positive. Although we haven't seen any um, contact tracing showing that those are linked to increases of cases. We do have indoor dining here. I would say it's probably mixed 50-50 of people sitting inside and outside. Um, so I think we're kind of in that mixed area, unlike New York and parts of California that only have outdoor seating. We also have some indoor, but I, you know, it's, I agree with Rob that there's some concern about the linking of alcohol to the transmission of COVID. And, um, and I think it is behavior based. Um, in Colorado, we also have a last call order. So now no alcohol can be served after 10 p.m. That's trying to curb that behavior um, and not really curve the fact that people are going to consume alcohol regardless, but, um, but make sure that people aren't getting too drunk and not social distancing late at night. We're uh, making the argument about behavior. It's an uphill battle uh, because... Most state agencies and county agencies don't want to deal with making it a rule of behavior because if they do that, then they're going to have to come down on the real estate offices that are having happy hours on Friday, inviting friends to that aren't selling alcohol, but they're creating 
problems, the law offices that have things going on. I, they don't want to deal with certain groups as behavior. So it's easier to classify us by the category of business we're in. And um, it's unfair and it's wrong and it's not scientifically based. Because if you look at all the hotspots, I mean, if so, we would be closing all the nursing homes. So, so we aside were, from, oh, go ahead. We were just uh, fortunate enough to actually get the limit of people extended. So it went from six to 10 people can sit at a table in New Hampshire. And that's based on families and tourism. So that they said it can be six adults, but it has to be up to four additional children. Um, so that was a nice thing. But then we also just got hit with a mandate for masks for any events over a hundred people. So. So I'm, I'm curious also, uh, especially curious about what you as guilds are doing for breweries as they find that their business models are entirely different now. Um, you know, in the, here in Oregon, uh, we, the breweries uh, were able to self-distribute or self-do deliveries. Uh, you know, for early on, that was incredibly important for those that were draft heavy or draft only uh, businesses uh, to figure out a way to get into a smaller package and get to the consumers directly. Um, and then the whole PPP thing came out and I know breweries were having some difficulty there and now we're past PPP. So I'm wondering, I, you know, I mean, I guess if you would ask, if, 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 we, if we went back to mid-March and thought about the length of this thing and I said to all of you, in mid-August, there's going to be a thousand deaths a day. How many breweries will still be in business in the United States of America? I think we would have all panicked and thought, <laughs> this is a catastrophe. Um, but there have been relatively few closures, which is kind of amazing. So I'm wondering what uh, you've been doing to support the breweries, what, the, what strategies they've uh, been adopting, and how that varies state by state. In Maryland, from the beginning, we... Uh worked very closely with the, uh, the governor's office and with our comptroller to figure out what rules they were willing to uh, bend for us uh, as an industry. We were able to get, we have volume sales limits per, per visit uh, here in the state. So a consumer can go into a manufacturing brewery and purchase 288 fluid ounces of beer to go. And that's their maximum per visit. Uh, we were able to get that extended and lifted so that uh, beer drinkers could come in and purchase as much beer as they wanted to in a to-go basis directly from a brewery rather than forcing them to come out more and more often and uh, be exposed. Uh, we were fortunate that the governor's office was willing to do a lot of this through executive directive and uh, has extended all of the executive orders to 30 days past the state of emergency. So we kind of know that all of the things that have been done in the state of Maryland to help our industry will not expire until well after the state of emergency um, has been lifted. Uh, I can speak for New Hampshire, is we have the same similar situation where we advocated right from the beginning that breweries were deemed essential businesses. So for the entirety of this, they have been able to be open for that reason. Uh, the other is that we have 
offered and all of our members are part of our New Hampshire Restaurant Association. So with that, we have um, basically two agencies or associations um, covering their backs through this whole process. But the great part about finally one of the initiatives that New Hampshire had is that so many of our breweries have to have food in order to serve pints. So that has been fairly easy for us to transition because we haven't had to have the addition of food um, as prevalently for them. Uh, however, some of the nuances uh, such as online ordering, delivery, and curbside pickup, we are advocating and have been for the duration of this and will continue to make sure that those become permanent um, expense because so many of the breweries had, uh, were forced to use those and then see that expenditure add on to their already dwindling business um, has been our point of advocacy for them for that. Um, so we actually are writing a bill right now so that if the emergency order goes away that those executive orders stay in place. Um, I just want to let, let everyone know, to, wow, um, put your email in the chat uh, in case Jeff has any follow-ups, you can reach out to you directly, it be helpful. Um, <clears throat> I also wanted to touch on something you said about the, you, you alluded to the surveys about gloom and doom that came in March, and um, I have a theory on that, and it's essentially that um, I think uh, brewery owners were looking at their operation uh, uh, without really wanting to change or, or, or being fearful of change. And I think the biggest thing they, they were able to change because of PPP was letting their employees go. I think having full employment was so tied to their um, identity and um, having the PPP program gave them permission to let people move on and, and, and know that they were taken care of. And I, I think um, once you get rid of that labor and, and you're down to a skeleton crew, you know you can survive or you know you can scratch it out. Um, I'll just show you this. We did our own survey and um, that top line is is uh, still in business post COVID um, and that's 69% uh, that we did this in June. So between the, between, uh, the two top uh, things, I mean, we're looking at, you know, uh, 69 and 21. So 90% uh, of our businesses think they're gonna survive this. That was not the case in March. And I, I think, I actually think the government programs were very, very helpful. Um, the, 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 uh, the second thing that I think we're all dealing with um, is um, um, we're constantly getting different guidance, uh, different strategies. We're talking to each other and we're trying to put them in digestible units to send to our breweries and, and not all at once. And, uh, only when needed and sort of gauging uh, how that is communicated. And um, I think that's our full-time 24-hour job is most days of the week. And it's surprising people get in this industry, um, you know, th that are sort of in it to buck culture and, and you know, um, uh, you know, I'm more on the, on the uh, uh, less cautious side, you know, they're risking their houses, they're risking their other, livelihoods um, but it's funny when when it comes down to it uh, they all want a lot of black and white when they're mostly dealing in a gray area uh, uh, especially when it comes to these laws and like I, I'm like you guys should feel comfortable that there's a lot of gray area here and um, and you know it's, it's sort of getting coaching them into understanding that you've always been in a gray area so you know I think once they overcome that they're not as 
freaked out about what's happening. And, and, and so we don't have to respond as quickly anymore. We, we sometimes put out an announcement and then we just say, hey, we're, we're digesting this with you as well. Let's see what happens. Um, so I, I think they're getting used to sort of rolling with the punches. Rob, you actually made a really good point on labor. Uh, you know, with every, with a lot of the breweries, you know, letting staff go uh, either out of necessity or you know on furlough, looking to bring people back. Uh, one of the challenges we're seeing, uh, at least in Ohio and probably everywhere else, is uh, finding labor as as breweries reopen, it's finding people to come back and actually fill those jobs. Uh, you know, one one thing that we've been doing here in Ohio uh, is kind of like a public. Uh, we been putting out like public messaging about how the industry is going. Uh, we actually just launched a job board uh, last week for Ohio breweries, uh, you know, who are looking for, you know, people to, to come and, and you know, start taking over those, those bartender or kitchen jobs that, you know, that disappeared during the, during the pandemic. Uh, we also spent a lot of effort uh, promoting, you know, carry out options, delivery options, uh, you know, as breweries started to reopen, uh, we were telling that story, you know, how, how they were able to reopen, who's open. Like we keep a running list uh, on our website of, you know, every, like basically everything that you can do at a brewery right now. Can you go sit down and have a pint? Can you get a delivery? Can you get carry out? Can you buy merchandise? Like any way that you can support a brewery. We've been trying to tell that story on our end uh, just because, you know, we have, you know, we have the, a, a reach as an organization uh, and we've built up our, you know, our public messaging to the point where we can, we can reach a lot of people that maybe the breweries individually can't. Anyone else have reflections about what you're doing for breweries that may not have been mentioned? I think I would echo Rob's sentiment is a lot of times our governor will say something in a press conference or um, they'll see an executive order and our job is to interpret that and support our members and making sure they understand what that means. So a lot of it is just communicating as well, um, but also thinking about what the future will look like and how we can support them. Colorado has Tabor, which I don't think anybody really knows what that means outside of Colorado, but um, we can't change taxes without a vote by the people. Um, and so that limits a lot of what we can do financially for support to small businesses right now. It's putting a lot of strain on the small businesses because there's no way to uh, have the state support them in any way. We can't have a deficit here either. So that also causes a lot of problems to support small businesses that are not being provided by uh, the federal government in terms of financial resources. And then the executive orders are really where we're focusing to support them. Hey Jeff, uh, Joseph uh, has joined us from uh, Georgia. So I don't know if you have a question. <laughs> uh, hi, Joseph. Uh, we're talking about uh, what the guilds are doing for uh, the member breweries, um, particularly like what, you know, how that how that might, since we now realize it's probably going to go on for many more months, um, you know, what, uh, what's going on. And a few people have, have thrown in what their states are doing, um, which you didn't hear. So you may not know uh, <laughs> whether they've mentioned what you've done, uh, but feel free to weigh in. Well, I won't, yeah, I won't go through the whole list. Um, and I'm, thanks for, I wanted to, I was very curious 
about this and I had another call, but I wanted to jump on. So sorry, I'm late. Um, so one kind of thing that I'm considering and I'd be interested to see if anybody else is, to, because I don't know how this would work. This is not my expertise. A lot of things in the beer industry have not been my expertise. I did not come from this, um, from this world or have that background, but is any sort of like group purchasing. So that's been rumbling and especially now, especially with certain supply issues, particularly on aluminum um, and cans. Um, I had a, a conversation with a, a, a hopefully new, not, a, not yet a new member, but um, uh, a newer brewery that we're trying, brew pub specifically that I'm trying to recruit, which recruitment during this time is, is fun. Um, <laughs> but trying to make the case like, we need you and you need us now more than ever. Like now's the time we need a guild more than ever. So like go through your pockets at the guild and <laughs> scrounge up your dues, you know, and we'll support you every step in the way. Anyways. Um, so yeah, group purchasing um, is, a, is something I'm trying to figure out. Can we do, how do we do, is it worth it? Um, especially on cans now um, during this time. And then all the other stuff I did hear at the tail end of a few others um, we're doing, you know, most of what everyone else is doing just from a support standpoint, obviously all the financial relief, um, engaging some of our experts on just providing, you know, some, some expertise to, to our members. Um, I, I was going to just write uh, that I know that a lot of guilds that are considering or talking to their members about co-ops i just i think they're beyond the reach of a lot of a lot of guilds to both financially and um i think there can be very complex business relationships um and how do you be equitable when it, it's one thing when you can order as much as you want but when there's a shortage how do you manage that i just i would hate to be in the middle of that but it, there's definitely a desire to get an answer about the the canning situation um i mean that is something that we're sort of <laughs> pun intended kicking down kicking the can down the road on like I, I i don't know if that's the next shoe drop in this whole thing it, it's going to be terrible if it does um, we we sort of did a, a crowler exchange um there was no money transactions at all we, we happened to have someone that had a craft beer bar that closed that gave us a thousand to work with and so all we were doing is managing um shipping dates you know we, we would they would promise when they would replenish the stock and so on and so forth. But, you know, I, it, it, it actually broke down because people couldn't provide back and I haven't gone back and asked and we sort of cleared that hurdle, but I can't imagine what that would be like with tens of thousands of dollars on the line. So uh, I can uh, go and go and go on on that. Um, I, I have another couple of few questions. I don't want to keep you guys too long, but if somebody has yeah. more on that. Okay, I'm interested, you know, the industry is going to change, is in, in the process of changing now. And one of the biggest things uh, I've, I've been worried about or wondering about is we're seeing distributor uh, consolidation at the same time that all this is happening. So we're, at the moment, the breweries need more access to uh, retail outlets for their packaged products. We're seeing this consolidation and I'm wondering how delivery as intersected with that as a as a legal issue, and whether you're seeing your member breweries uh, asking questions about access to market and how that 
is going to change in the in the near term and maybe how laws might change in the long term or you know are your are your members talking to you about these issues i'll i'll jump in from maryland uh delivery specifically has been something that this industry has been asking about for quite a while uh the state's wineries have the ability to do direct consumer shipping uh, I believe that the breweries are looking for some opportunity to be on a competitive landscape that's similar to that. Uh, there's no reason that our members at least think there's no reason that we shouldn't have access to uh, state residents who are not located in our county or within an easy drive to, uh, to sell beer to. So the goal there would be obviously uh, in-state direct-to-consumer shipping and something that we would like to see kind of stick around what we are not seeing uh, is a ton of breweries kind of jumping on board with what's available right now. So while direct consumer shipping has been allowed, there are some things standing in the way of making sure that it's uh, the easiest thing for them to do. Um, the assurance programs, uh, the software that's out there to make sure that people are over 21 and all that kind of stuff and working with FedEx and EPS, uh, there are some roadblocks in the way. So I think logistically, once that stuff works out, it will be something that more of our members will be willing to pursue. But right now, it's almost as though we really want it, we really want it, but we didn't realize what it was going to take to get it. And now that we have it, it's like, oh man, you know, some of us may do it, some of us may not. Thanks. I'll just uh, drop in that part of our strategy uh, when we understood that everyone was going to be closed. Uh, we did partner with the Restaurant Association here for two reasons. One is um, they were going to handle the front of the house issues better than us in terms of what happens to laid off employees. And, and I'm talking about in March. Um, uh, their, their, their workforce is so much more vast than ours. Um, and their economic impact is so much greater. They were going to have a bigger voice. And so we uh, the trade-off was we were going to support their ability to have to go uh, sales of alcohol. And, um, you know, I didn't see us necessarily leveraging um, a lot of sales from restaurants. I mean, you know, you, you got to imagine that there's thousands of restaurants that might order a case of Bud Light a week, you know, and that's it. Um, but it, it, it is a long-term play. And so I, I think there are uh, there's going to be a big discussion about whether we support that being a permanent thing. And if that helps um, create more relationships between our restaurants and our breweries, uh, and if we come up with a, uh, you know, return with Arizona products messaging or something like that, or um, I think that's something that our wineries will get behind as well, because they're in the same boat, distilleries too. Uh, you know, that's something that we might, as producers of alcohol, we might unite on with, with legislation moving forward. Um, we've always been able to deliver um, and um, we actually have a theory that we can ship. We haven't really talked very much about that because it, it's, it's also getting FedEx and UPS on board uh, with that. So um, I, I, think, I think our flights are, are, are mainly going to be, uh, I think we're going to let everyone play their hand out and, and, and continue to be friends with as many people as we can because I think we got it pretty okay. Jeff, in Colorado, um, the consolidation of the middle tier, I think that's what you were referencing to, is 
been a concern for a handful of years here previous to COVID. Luckily in Colorado, we are able to self-distribute, but it's only effective or efficient up to a certain amount, right? And then you really kind of need a partner to help with that process. So um, consolidation of the middle tier is a concern and the access to market. Like I said, we have self-distribution. There are a handful of breweries that do do some distribution for other breweries to help with that. Um, for example, Station 26 in Denver has opened up their own distribution um, arm called S26. Uh, True does some distribution for other breweries and Crooked Stave has their own distribution uh, arm as well. And so there are some that are trying to fill that, that uh, void there for craft breweries, but um, I don't know if there's an answer there. I think, you know, the, the concern that a lot of our members express is that franchise laws were really there to protect that middle tier because um, they needed it then and now the the numbers have changed in the number of distributors versus breweries and, and the, uh, the power dynamics have changed. And so how can we maybe make the playing field a little bit more level? Um, we overall have pretty good access to market in Colorado, but that's something that we always keep at the forefront of any legislative work that we do either on the protection side or uh, adding any new legislation to the agenda. So um, definitely a big conversation that happens in Colorado. Uh, and I think part of it started a few years ago with CR Goodman um, being sold to Breakthrough, which was CR Goodman was the main uh, craft distributor for a long time here. So that, that was the start of it. And I know there's some big changes happening in the AB houses right now with some um, selling and changes happening with their, their distributors too. I'll just say generally, I think we're just waiting to see who survives this. Uh, if we lose, you know, certain types of breweries, that's definitely going to change our focus legislatively. Um, I have no idea. I mean, you know, if we lose large breweries, same thing. We've seen actually probably a handful of breweries actually enter into distro through this. Um, just so that they shifted from their tasting room only model so that they were they couldn't keep up with self-distro on their own. Um, but the fear is that now I'm hearing with more and more entering that market and the distributors in our state gobbling them up, uh, it's becoming increasingly more difficult to find shelf space availability anywhere for those. So although they're getting an influx in cans, it doesn't mean that there's any more space being created for those cans. So something has to give and fearfully the larger ones that have relied on distribution are now starting to grow concern from some of the, the fact that some of the smaller ones are coming in and taking that space, especially in the chain locations. Uh, from Maryland, CJ and Shani, um, the Business models of some of our members have definitely started to shift. We had a lot of taproom only uh, ideas as brewery startups. Uh, right now we see a lot of them kind of pivoting towards uh, larger production runs for canning. We see a lot of people getting involved with uh, uh, 
can on demand services and all that kind of stuff coming into their breweries and helping them out. Uh, to the larger point about the health distribution, uh, we have had some very big success in allowing our breweries to get self distribution and wholesale licensing. Um, a lot of them were good with it to begin with. Now they're trying to find ways to become a little bit more competitive with how they are uh, self-distributing. Our state's retail locations seem to be doing well. So they're trying to support those as well as they can. And uh, to the larger picture about distributors throughout the state, we've actually had two new distributors come on board in the last 18 months in Maryland. So we're, we're confident that the, uh, the three-tier system here is still healthy and that uh, everybody's playing well. Jeff, I don't know if you have this question, but um, I think um, I think we all need to get the message out also that we're kind of last in line in all this recovery stuff. Uh, since we can't do events and, um, you know, I've, I've kicked the can down the road on our dues. Uh, they're normally due in the summer and I've, I've, I've just put them off till the fall. Um, you know, so that, so who's, who's uh, how many members we have after all this is going to influence quite a bit we we had to kick our we had to kill our conference that you know that is a, a good sort even if it's not a huge money maker it's definitely a relationship builder for sponsorships and, and allied trade members uh so that was a bigger piece of our pie than it ever has been and, and it's something that we felt that uh we were going to really blow up this year and, and so that hasn't happened um you know, I, I'm working with a bunch of event coordinators to figure out how we don't, when we reopen that, um, it's not terrible. Um, it's not as, as uh, and there's nobody representing that industry per se as an organization. So we've had to ha ad hoc that organization together. Um, I don't want, I don't want things to open up and have a bunch of people make some terrible decisions and uh, further put our ability to, to run those things both both for financial reasons, and, and, and um, I still continue to think that uh, they're actually still fun, and, and, and people can businesses can leverage uh, that opportunity to get new customers. I, I know that's a mantra that uh, some breweries like oh, they hate festivals and they don't really get much out of them. But I, I think that now that they're not doing them, I think they understand how important that kind of engagement can be. I would echo the same thing, Rob, because we haven't really been able to hold any of our events. And that's terrifying from a financial standpoint for the association, especially from the standpoint of we're needed now more than we ever have been in the past from our members. And that echoes very true with the amount of volume and efforts we have to exert as guild leaders to, to save all these breweries. Um, and now it's come down to, are we even going to be able to save ourselves at this point? I'll pile on on that, sorry, but it's not only the events for our associations, but a lot of our members depend a whole lot on events. And in Kansas, they made it legal to open um, alcohol establishments the same day that they made it legal to open state parks, which was before July. And we had a two week later, a spike, and every newspaper article was about, oh, it must be because of the alcohol nothing about the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people at the state parks having raft ups and parties. So it's, it's very difficult. So I'm doubling up what Rob says, you've got to be very, very careful and try to make sure that it's understood of what is actually happening. Facts are very 
loose and unavailable mostly in this <laughs> pandemic. And I have to leave for a state house call. It was nice to meet you, Jeff, and thank you, everyone. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm I, I'm interested in uh, hearing others on you, and let me just throw one more thing in the pot there. Uh, as your uh, revenue sources have changed and, and in some cases dried up. Um, also, your activities have changed too. So I'm interested to know uh, as uh, guild leaders, you know, what were you doing before and how is that changing uh, both on the revenue side, but also what you're doing for breweries. Uh, so just add that piece, but please keep talking. This is fascinating. Yeah, um, I can, you know, quickly jump in here. Um, I came on board in this role uh, less than a year ago, and the whole idea of me coming on board was to uh, expand what our guild was doing. As a city guild, we had we didn't have associate members, we didn't have allied members, um, and, you know, I'm looking to put together a vetted vendor program as, like, member benefit. Um, and initially, you know, I'm came on in a part-time capacity thinking, all right, no problem within a year, this will be a full-time role and I won't be freelancing. It'll be an actual, you know, uh, position, but obviously that's um, on hold indefinitely. And you know, my role has changed significantly. Um, we, no joke, March 1st, our president changed, just that's how our elections work. We have elections at the end of the year and the new president um, or new board members. It's uh, this time it was president and a secretary who are new um, come on as soon as our beer week is over and that starts um, so their term starts March 1st so they literally came on board as this was all happening everyone's role has changed um, Kyle who's our guild president he has stuck to one of his main goals even before this was to get our bylaws up to date they hadn't been updated since our guild started and we started with maybe five breweries and now you know we have 38 members and there's more than 40 breweries in New York City calling New York City home um, so that's, you know, we're still working on that. And yes, I am still moving forward with trying to put together an allied program, um, as well as vetted vendors. Cause you know, as, um, Joseph was saying, there's no time like now that our members have needed our guild. We've all also been hoping that the 501c6, um, funding with government will come through because that could help us. Um, you know, the only way that we've made money in the past is very smallly through member dues, which we really don't ask a lot of membership for dues. And then our two main fundraisers, and obviously those are not happening. Um, we're going to do something different for Blacktoberfest, but I don't foresee us making anywhere near what we made last year. And opening Bash typically has been, um, you know, a big fundraiser as well. So yeah, I mean, that's something where um, after, you know, my first two events as uh, executive director went really well, were super successful based on previous years, it doesn't mean anything anymore. So <laughs> I'm sure others can speak to that as well. Um, I'll just, I'll just say that uh, I, I make a joke that we're, uh, we're Brewers Guild pretending to be a tech company right now. And, um, uh, you know, the things that we were working on, um, you know, uh, before this, we, we were looking at really trying to provide more member services. We were looking at trying to um, address the fact that I think labor is the biggest issue that uh, the brewery industry faces right now. And so we were looking at getting more people health insurance, um, um, just just wellness things. Uh, uh, but, you know, uh, um, having no events is kind of liberating because um, they are also a huge expense and a huge time suck. And uh, right now our virtual events, or I mean, they're really marketing campaigns with some merchandise that you actually can make some money on. Um, it's, it's, it's really like 
rethinking the whole event thing. And so when we come back to this, I, I just think we, we had some huge events that were huge events because they were huge events. And um, they, I miss the money that we get from them for sure. Um, but I mean, I don't know that it has to be the, the way that it moves forward. I don't know what, what uh, the public's palette's gonna be for it. Um, but I, I think, you know, it gives us the, like if we couldn't do another event, uh, uh, maybe there are maybe the dues are a bigger component of what the organization does. Um, maybe merchandise is, um, but I, I, you know I know there's a lot of Zoom fatigue. I still think this is a great platform for reaching people. Um, I think some of our breweries are finding people who they that never come to their brewery but might pick up a six pack, but now they can engage them. Um, uh, you know through, through this medium or, or Facebook Live or uh, some online channels. I, I don't think we've really exploited what this is. Uh, enough, um, and I and I think the public probably isn't ready for its monetization just yet. I think probably um, you're familiar with uh, the way that you're trying to change how you're making a living, Jeff. I mean, um, I don't know. Is it Patreon? Do we are, do we have that kind of relationship with our members or our fans or the general public? I'm not sure, but I, I think there's a lot of opportunity. I just don't know what it is yet. I think we're all struggling with. And I'm sure your brewery members have less time uh, and mental space to think creatively about these things because they're in triage for their own businesses. Oh, for sure. Yeah, in Colorado without events, um, we actually had to lay off our staff. So I we used to have two and a half people, now there's one. So that's one big change, but that's also because we don't have events to do. Um, but there were other things that that person did besides events. It was a marketing and events role. So now I'm now trying to figure out how to do social media at the same time as all of the other things. Um, but I think, you know, our board has been looking for a solution to diversify our income, our revenue streams for probably five years now. So this isn't something new. And I think the one thing that they've been talking about for so long is how do you just diversify it so you're not reliant so much on one bucket. And I think in Colorado, we've done a pretty good job of that. So we're not solely reliant on one bucket or another bucket, but with events being gone, um, our membership dues now make up a much larger bucket than they did before. And so that's something that we are trying to struggle with is how do we continue to diversify that into this uh, situation right now where um, now our membership dues, which we have been trying to become less reliant on, we're almost more reliant now. And that's also puts us in a difficult position moving forward as our dues are based off of production. And going into next year, it's likely um, 2020 production will be down. And so our dues will be down next year. So we're struggling with, you can't have events and dues being down. What are the other options out there to sustain the guild? I think in Colorado, we've been really lucky that a lot of breweries are willing to do some type of donation. So I've had a lot of people reach out with creative ways to support the guild, even if it's just $500 here or $600 here, that's, you know, that's better than nothing. Um, and it'll help us if we continue to be able to have some support from our members in ways that they can be creative and support themselves as well. But 
definitely a struggle trying to figure out how to be sustainable over the long run without fundraising events. In Maryland, we started uh, virtual events in May. We had to cancel our spring event, which is our largest uh, fundraiser annually. And uh, we moved that to a virtual platform. We were able to sell commercials to uh, some of our affiliate and allied members. So that worked out well for us. We were generating revenue through, uh, through commercial ad sales, essentially. And most of the ads were from our supporters saying how much they supported the industry and encouraging viewers to uh, make contributions through a donation site that we had set up. Uh, so we were able to raise some money that way. We are in the process of determining how to effectively do a fall fundraiser. Uh, fortunately, the state of Maryland has decided that as a guild, we can facilitate a beer transaction on a festival permit and deliver it through shipment. So we are going to be working through uh, some options to ship beer to consumers in the state uh, to help support a fundraiser. And uh, our members have actually taken it upon themselves to group together and come up with a collaborative series of beers called the Brew for BAM. And uh, they're each members that are participating are each brewing their own style. There's been no limitation on that. They're sharing some artwork so that everybody has like a general theme, uh, but they're working with their own in-house artists or art teams to produce beautiful labels. And they're providing a portion of any proceeds that they are generating uh, right back to their guild. So we have uh, some interesting fundraising options happening here. Uh, and we're pretty proud to see that they're, they're kind of working. We're really hoping that this fall thing works out well. We're doing something oh. similar in New Hampshire. We are utilizing the um, emergency orders to the best of our ability to host events that fall under that. So we're doing like a brew through mixed with a virtual tasting event next month. And that only can happen if the state of emergency stays in place. So we're taking gambles on a daily basis of what events we can and can't hold because it just keeps changing. Uh, but the fact that this is permissible under the current statutes is kind of hilarious because we've found the loopholes as a guild to make it work. But at the same point, we're then gonna advocate it for it to be permanent, so. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of that. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff, back to your original question is, I guess I don't know what pre-COVID looked like for us since I, I've only known COVID. Um, in this role, but my background is in fundraising. I have 15 years of fundraising experience. So I think that, that that's what made me attractive to the guild um, is looking at diversifying our revenue stream. So right now we're about a third dues, um, a third grants, which fund my position and a third events. Um, my experience with event-based fundraising is it's exhausting and not really great at raising funds. Uh, so my preference would be to see us um, build some more sustainable revenue and, and hard money as opposed to um, being reliant on events and grants. Um, but right now we have over half of our guild members who are behind on dues. Um, we have issued COVID deferments. So we've lost a lot of that, that base funds um, plus all of our events, which in my opinion, maybe a blessing actually. Um, so I think from our perspective, we're kind of taking this as an opportunity to reset and take a look at 
where we were getting high return on investment as far as events. Um, can we look at 2021 as a year of saying, okay, instead of doing 50 events that raise $500 here and $1,000 there, can we really um, you know, focus our, our brewers' energies? I, I did a survey when, when I first came on to ask our breweries how they felt um, about the guild's role in their operations. And, and a lot of them look to us for obviously, you know, the, the political support and, and the lobbying efforts. Um, and it was kind of a mixed bag as far as who relied on us for marketing and collaboration opportunity and viewed us as a resource. So I think we're really kind of taking the opportunity to hone where we can provide value to the, the guild members in a way that's meaningful to them. Um, and across the board, everybody said we're evented to death. We don't have the bandwidth. And now, especially in, in the face of COVID, we're just trying to tread water. Even if there were events, we wouldn't want to be participating in them. So I think we're, we're really going to focus this fall on trying to do a drink local month um, as an opportunity both to encourage folks to be spending their dollars um, in the state. We may also bring on um, looking at spirits and, and wine also and just trying to challenge Nebraskans to keep their dollars in the state as they drink because we know alcohol consumption is still up or, or is increasing across the state. Uh, but, but I think that it, now we're looking at quality versus quantity in, in our revenues. Um, so I guess I'm going to view it as an opportunity. Well, uh, we've been doing this for an hour and I know you guys are super busy and I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, this has been quite enlightening. Uh, I wish you well. <laughs> this is really uh, a challenging time for everyone. And those of you who have to do more on less, uh, more with less is, uh, uh, I feel for you. This is kind of like our water cooler anyway. Excellent. You're getting yeah. a little less, you're getting a little less bitching because we're trying to be professional. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think anybody would blame you for bitching. Um, it's nice that you do have each other to talk to and share ideas and commiserate. Um, there are at least 50 of you out there, I suppose. So that's helpful. Sure. Well, thank you for your time too as well, Jeff. And um, as soon as you um, have something that, that is the product of this, you let me know and I'll let these guys know. But um, each of them should, uh, uh, the chat will go to you as well. So you'll get everyone's contact as well. That's fantastic. I did do a quick and dirty cut and paste, but that'd be great if I have something less hinky than that. Right on. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Uh, be well, be safe, and thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Bye, Rob. Bye. <laughs> A few words going out. Thanks to everyone who took time uh, to talk with me for this podcast extra. If you'd like to reach out uh, about this or any show, please send your questions or comments to jeff at birvanablog.com or on Twitter to at birvanapod. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time for our regular Birvana show.